I am Peter Fisher, the coding teacher at howtocodewell.net. If you are learning Python, PHP, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, Docker, Linux, or anything else to do with web development, then do check out howtocodewell.net forward slash courses. Links are in the description below. Okay. Hello coders and welcome to another How To Code Well podcast. Today we're going to be talking about what to expect from junior web developers. I've got the absolute pleasure of being joined by Jonan Scheffler. Hi Jonan, how's it going? Have you had a good week? I have had a reasonably good week so far, yes. Thank you for asking. A reasonably good week. <laughs> That's, I think, the best anyone can hope for, right? Yeah, 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 I guess so. I guess so. And as it's coming to the end of the week, you know, it's weekend time, just around the corner, which is all good. So, Jonan, um, let's talk about your background. What, how did you get into, how did you get into coding, this wonderful world of the web development industry? Right. The lovely world of programming. It is lovely some days. Uh, mostly it's a, a lot of pain and then brief moments of joy. So uh, let's see. I got into software. I came kind of uh, by a circuitous route. I came through uh, a lot of other industries before I got into software. I'd gone to study code in school. Mm -hmm. I studied Java development. And then I graduated right on the crash uh, around 2003 mm -hmm. and software looked pretty bleak at the time and on top of that all my friends who were writing java were working for these big gaming shops and uh they were miserable all the time you know because they were abused badly mm -hmm. and so i ended up going and working a lot of odd jobs i was a, a car salesman and a concierge and a poker dealer was uh kind of the end of my pre-code oh life. wow <laughs> yeah and then uh i got into a software company doing some front-end work. I was chopping up PSDs and making mm. them IE6 compliant uh, layouts. And that's how I got started in software. Oh, wow. Gosh, that's such an awesome background. So from- A long one. Yeah. Wow. 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 What, 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 was, the, what was the motivation to, to, to do that? So I'd always worked in software on the side. I, uh -huh. I was running a kind of a, a brochureware business. I was making little websites for people who- just just needed a basic HTML website. Mm -hmm. I would charge people 500 bucks a pop and put up mm -hmm. really some hideous websites. I'm sure the Wayback Machine has evidence of my <laughs> unfortunate design skills at the time. Uh, but that was what kept me in software. And then uh, the casino started to tank. The mm -hmm. gaming industry for poker was, was disappearing real quick. It was a big boom, a fad uh, for poker around that time. And then it disappeared. And so a lot of poker dealers are looking for work. And I was done with gaming it's a pretty depressing industry you're dealing with compulsive gamblers almost all of the time it's sure. not, not a happy place I, are you are you do you do you know the rules of poker are you a poker player i am yeah that's yeah. how i ended up getting into it i was a poker player and one time i was in a card room and the owner of the card room said hey does anyone here know how to deal and having dealt my home game that sunday that very week <laughs> i of course said well i can deal and i got a job dealing poker oh that's so cool <laughs> yeah. So, um, so then you moved, you moved into programming. I mean, how, how, what was it that, that, uh, you said you did some work, um, for people like as it, you sound like a, you had an entrepreneurial sort of attitude of, of building and selling. So how, how did you f discover programming? What was the, what was the thing that, um, led you into that? Because there's, there must be multiple stages of sort of, finding out programming, learning programming, and then realizing that you can actually make money off of it. Right. Yeah. And so I think the discovery of programming was far in the past. When I was in elementary school, they had a, um, I had changed elementary schools mm. and they had made us do the same uh, unit again in this, this other grade. So it's, it's Native American studies. We had studied it in third grade at my old school. Okay. They wanted me to do it again in fourth grade. Right. And the result of that was that I got some independent study time. Uh -huh. And I got uh -huh. to play with some old Apple IIEs and I taught myself a bit of basic. Uh -huh. uh, and I loved it. I mostly would just write uh, like password protected journals right. in basic. So right. when my sister would walk up to the computer and would say, enter your password. And I thought it was great because she couldn't get in. <laughs> of course, I didn't know how to save a program at the time. And there was no internet. I had no mentors. No one was there to teach me. Right. Uh, and so she could just turn the apple on and off and then then play her games. <laughs> it was not very well protected. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so, so did you, am I right in thinking that you taught yourself programming? Um, I think that's fair to say up to a point. So mm -hmm. the basic stuff I didn't, I always considered it a hobby. And then, mm. 
you know, I was the good with computers guy in my family. I was responsible for Googling all the solutions and then implementing them. <laughs> um, and then I got off to go to university and decided that computer science was something I'd want to study. Mm. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, a couple of years later, decided it was not a thing I wanted to do professionally. Gotcha. Um, because I, I had no idea that that this could be my job, that developer advocacy was even a role that existed. Mm. And mm. Uh, so I I had a long way around. But of course, I learned from others my whole career. I'm incredibly grateful. I stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm. I got into a a boot camp at one time. So mm -hmm. I had that first job. And then from there, I got into a program called Hungry Academy. Mm -hmm. That was a boot camp run by Living Social. Um, and I was really fortunate. They only took maybe 24 people out of, I think, 900 applicants. And I got lucky enough to get into one of those spots. Oh, wow. And after graduating, Living Social gave me a full-time job. So Excellent. that was really like a huge kickstart to my career. I was I was making my way up there slowly, but that, that jumped me ahead I mean, five or 10 years wow. in my career progression, honestly. Awesome. Oh, what a, what a great story. So how, how did that move and progress into developer advocacy? Right. So I was a, uh, an apprentice software engineer and then a junior software engineer at that first company. Okay. And that progression happened mostly from, this is a really unhealthy way to do this. I do not <laughs> recommend it. Just staying late in the evenings. I was the last person to leave the office because the CTO and the CEO were the last people to leave the office. And if you can beat them to the end of their day, you look awfully productive sometimes. Uh, and so I did that for a little while. I would stay till about seven at night and chat them up on the way out the door and say, you know, what I would love to do is write Ruby and go onto that Ruby on Rails team and, and work on Ruby and Rails. And mm. uh, after about six months of that, they passed me in there. So from there, I got into a boot camp. That was G5 was the company. I got into a boot camp. I worked at Living Social mm -hmm. and then... After leaving Living Social, I went to New Relic. I kind of wanted to spread. I built uh, merchant solutions, so mm -hmm. kind of like public-facing Rails apps over and over again at Living Social, and I wanted to spread the, the breadth of my experience in the industry. So I went to New Relic, big okay. data analytics, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that was my last position at, at software uh, engineer. When I got into Heroku from New Relic, I became a senior software engineer. And right. often I find that's the case, that progressing in title is much easier when shifting positions. Excellent. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, we'll pick that apart just a second when we get into the junior, junior stuff. Um, yeah. So uh, it sounds like you've got a, a very uh, well-established background of technologies. Are you able to just list a couple of technologies that you're playing with at the moment? I am playing with right now. I would say arguing with is a better description. <laughs> Uh, Kubernetes. Last night I was I was arguing with Docker Compose about whether or not it should do anything at all, uh, and the the entirety of the error message I got was abort, which is not helpful. Programmers <laughs> out there, please add um, more helpful error messages. It turned out that I just had a, a syntax error in my file, but it seems like had they told me syntax error, I would have had a better chance of debugging it. Yeah. 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 We don't help ourselves sometimes, do we? <laughs> no. Ah, uh, so. Um, f for those wondering, uh, what is a developer advocate? Right. So the developer advocacy question, I, I realized suddenly that I didn't completely answer your question earlier about how I became a developer advocate. I meant to, to add on that last bit that I moved into a senior role mm -hmm. at Heroku mm -hmm. and I was doing that for about a year. And then I became a developer advocate, uh, which is really a role that I had had the entire time. I'd been doing it already at New Relic. And so in a nutshell, mm. I look at developer advocacy as pretty evenly divided into three parts. You have um, code. You're ideally writing a fair amount of code, either for your organization or uh, open source code. Something that is used by developers would okay. be ideal. Mm -hmm. And content work, where you're producing blog posts, maybe uh, screencasting or streaming. You're going around to conferences and giving talks. Right. And community and being involved with your community and understanding their needs. So developer advocates, uh, we fight for the users. My role is to represent the interests of developers at large mm -hmm. inside of my company. And at the same time, represent my company's participation in the community and their product to developers. Okay. So not so much in a sales way. You can imagine it kind of like a salesperson who doesn't ever have to sell <laughs> or a marketing person who only soft markets. Or okay. a developer who spends some time doing sales and marketing work. Okay. Okay. 
Okay, that's uh, so. So you say there's three things. Well, how how do you portion up your time? Is it is it like um, thirty percent of one, twenty percent of the other? What's the ideally in, in equal proportion? But <laughs> right, right. Um, more often than not, code falls by the wayside. In mm. my experience, okay. it's very difficult to maintain that active developer role as you start to get into other spheres, and especially because your organization, of course, is motivated to. Um, take advantage of your ability to be on camera and your ability to be on podcasts and write blog posts and things. And if you let them, they will just let content rule your life. Mm -hmm. But you kind of have to take responsibility for pushing back against that as an advocate. And honestly, most organizations, the nice thing about being a developer advocate is we're there to be the voice of the developer. So very often you have the respect of your peers as far as what is necessary to progress the team and the organization. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I haven't thought of it like that. That's a, yeah, 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 yeah. I totally get that. That's really good. Um, so how long have you been doing it for? So I've been a developer advocate for about three years officially mm. at Heroku. And then before that, uh, I started organizing conferences and, and community meetups at New Relic. So I've been a software developer now for about eight years. And I would say probably six of that has been developer advocacy, three full-time. Right. So I guess, am I right in thinking that one of your roles then is to, if there's like a new feature or anything, you create the content around how that new feature works and how developers can use it. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. at Heroku, the story's a little bit different for us. We're involved in the product announcement cycle and we're you know, adjusting those emails that go out and helping with the blog posts and things. Mm -hmm. But it's not uh, necessarily that we owned the public facing API, which is a common situation for a developer advocate. Mm -hmm. And in that case, they have a lot more input into how those products are built. Uh, I kind of envy that role a little bit. They get to do a lot more coding and they get to really own the developer experience on their platform. But that's a big part of what developer advocates do. We're just here trying to make the products easier to use uh, mm. and to fight for the user's interests inside the house. A lot of arguing with product about whether anything should be on the enterprise side of the fence or not. You know? Okay. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Some interesting conversations I'm sure you've had. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, you made a point earlier about um, uh, senior developers and changing titles when moving from, from, from job to job and, and that, that be possibly being the easiest route of doing that. I want to I want to pick that apart uh, a little bit, but before I do, I, I want to ask um, a question about junior developers because I think it's probably a good idea to start from from juniors and then work our way up. So, in your opinion, what defines a junior developer? So, I, it was defined for me mm -hmm. early on in my career that a junior developer is someone who is capable of implementing a a well-defined and tightly scoped feature. So I can hand a developer, a junior developer, a ticket uh, that says, you know, we're going to not add a new technology, but we're going to use an existing technology in our application in a way that we are already using it similarly. And okay. there's, a, there's a large body of work to reference locally. Um, and then that a, that a senior developer, by contrast, is more likely to be handed a business problem. And then, of course, there's developer in between, uh, or engineer. I, I generally am opposed to the idea of an engineer title, even though it's always been my title. I feel like engineers, they have very specific rules about what it takes to be called an engineer. Uh, but anyway, that middle role would be more uh, or, or less tightly scoped. You know, we're going to build an application. Here's what it's going to do. It's going to help us solve this problem. Mm -hmm. And then a senior role would be, hey, we need to solve this problem. Go solve this problem, this business problem. Gotcha. So, so a junior developer then is so they have like a scaffold a framework something that they can rely on and use and lean on whereas a senior on the other side of the spectrum they or, or scale they um they're more of an investigator and an architect yeah i think that's a very fair assessment of the state yeah gotcha i think i don't want to make it sound like juniors necessarily do menial work mm -hmm. i think that an ideal junior developer situation is very different from that where you're just, you just feel like you're being handed boring, repetitive tickets, right? Like mm -hmm. the, your work should ideally be structured to help you grow as a developer. That should be a shared objective with your organization. Sure. Yeah. 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 So 
we 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 mentioned in contrast, but what is there anything that 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 just don't define a junior developer? As in, is there any is there any kind of if you were looking at a job spec between a junior developer and a senior developer, what are the things that would scream out to you that this is a senior role rather than this is a junior role? Well, there's the years experience one, which of course we all know is quite silly, right? Well, well as soon as the technology is out, they want eight years experience with it the next year, you know? That that was, um, yeah, that was a loaded question because I was trying to <laughs> get you to talk about <laughs> duration of time. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's at all relevant. I think right. that the difference between a junior developer and a senior developer is a different kind of experience. And in, in some okay. cases, people advance more quickly than others because they have that growth mindset. That's they're able to maintain a beginner's mind mm. when they're working through any problem. And the danger, I think, the thing that will slow your progression the most is uh, starting to think that you know things. I don't know things. I've been doing this for eight years. I know nothing at all mm. about what's happening around me. Computers are terrible and mm. we all realize it. And we just keep swimming as best we can. And the more that you are inclined to pretend that you know a thing, the more you limit growth. Because if someone asks me a question, for example, like, well, what do you know about PHP? I know very little about PHP. But if I pretend and I start naming technologies that I've used in PHP, I'm shutting down a conversation that was a learning opportunity, right? Wow. Yeah, that's uh, really good advice there. That's... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I get asked loads about, you know, from people at the community, how do you progress from junior to senior? And I guess that's a really good piece of advice there is to don't limit yourself. Don't be overconfident and, 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 and shut down those conversations. Ego um, is a real big danger in yeah. software because we are smart people and we work hard yeah. and it's okay to be proud of the things that you accomplish. Mm -hmm. You should celebrate your own victories if only for your own mental health, right? So that you can keep your spirits up. But attaching yourself to that, your identity to your work is a very dangerous thing. And I see that mistake made often by junior developers. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, that's that's some really valuable advice. Um, if you're a junior developer, though, what are the misconceptions um, of of becoming a senior developer what what do you think junior developers think oh well they must do this they must do that in order to become a senior i think that they get the impression they need to do what i thought i needed to do which was stay late every night and work harder and right. not smarter right and a lot of people told me along the way work smarter not harder yeah what does that even mean yeah. right well it means specifically understanding how to use your time effectively right and and getting better at managing the resources you have available because we all have a finite amount of willpower gotcha. in a day. That's just a fact. But a senior developer is much more likely to time box their adventuring. They, uh, when they're spiking on a new feature, they will stop after 30 minutes and return to the team and get more advice. Mm -hmm. And a junior developer may turn that into four or six hours or even multiple days. And mm -hmm. then from the perspective of the rest of the organization, they're just struggling really hard and not making much progress. Really what they needed to do was ask for more help earlier in gotcha. the process. So I think that brute force attack is not how you become a senior developer. And it's a, it's a common misconception. That's some um, really solid advice there. You're just throwing, you're just dropping gems all over the place. <laughs> I do what I can. That's brilliant. All of these are born of my pain and my suffering right. <laughs> over the past eight years. It took a lot of hurt to learn these lessons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can uh, vouch for um, pain when, you know, when I started out, I, I, I had the, the ego trip, you know, um, and then I was too scared to re ask questions when I got answers and I didn't understand what those answers were, I would just sort of try and piece things together myself um, with the answers that I was given rather than actually ask again and say, I still don't understand. Could you, could you please? Cause I didn't want to show my naivety. I didn't want to show my, my uh, greenness. Right. right. Yeah. And I still don't, I mean, there are still acronyms that I should understand by this point in my career. There's something that I should know, but the reality is, Nobody anywhere, if, if you work as hard as you possibly can and you're the best developer, you may acquire by the end of your life 1% of all the knowledge that is programming. Mm. And that little 1% slice is different than everyone else's. And so it's very easy to look around and compare yourself to another developer and realize that you know nothing because they've got a different 1% than you have. 
your knowledge has value. It's just different than theirs. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I had this conversation with you several years ago. <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> ah, so, okay. So, so should a junior developer aspire to be a senior? Oh, I think so. Yeah. I think, well, and, and there are different tracks, of course, in software. A lot of people, maybe if you want to head away from development, you, you don't want to go up that technical tree. I think mm -hmm. there are two real common ways to ascend from junior developer. You go up this technical tree, uh, or you probably make it to developer or maybe even senior first, and then you go into management, right? So you're, the end goal here is to be like a principal developer or a, a chief architect or something. And then on the other side, you know, to work your way up into management, maybe you want to be a CTO someday. But I think both of those have a common root that is probably senior developer, that in order to have that mark on your resume that kind of will garner the respect of people in the industry, uh, it's an important pursuit, I think. And, and, I, and there may be plenty of people who are very happy not ascending in their careers. I certainly hope so. Mm -hmm. I mean, work is not life, right? I mean, no. get out and live and figure out what you want out of life. And if, if what you want out of life is career progression, then yeah, I think senior developer is something you should aspire to. Awesome. Some, some good, more good advice. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so uh, we talked uh, before about uh, moving jobs and jumping from junior to senior. I mean, the, the, the next part I want to talk about is sort of how, how does one progress from junior to senior? And, and that was something that you mentioned earlier is, is changing jobs. You say that that's the quickest way. Is that the most sensible way of doing it? I would say no. I think that that advice definitely needs to be tempered. It's it's very common for people to jump too quickly mm -hmm. uh, or too slowly. You you if you stay at one company for too long, you risk becoming an expert at specifically what they do. And I think most software developers aspire to be generalists mm -hmm. that that I want to be someone who has a long lasting career. I don't want to be in the position where I'm a COBOL consultant and I just don't have the skills to compete with modern web development. Um, right. And, and I also, uh, don't want to be the person who hops jobs every six months and is seen as someone who can't commit to a project. The sweet spot in my experience is right around the two year mark. Mm -hmm. Uh, of course I've now been in Heroku for four years. Uh, but if you find an especially good shop, none of this applies, right? <laughs> if you find some place that you love and you're happy and you feel like you're growing, just always, always try to be the dumbest person in the room and be around people who make you better mm -hmm. at what you do, and, mm -hmm. and you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. As someone on the Discord channel the other day mentioned about progressing, and I and I said, if you're the smartest person in the room, then you are in the wrong room. You know, it's true. This yeah. is, I think, the best advice that yeah. I got when I was early on in my career is yeah. that I, I want to feel like I'm learning all the time. And that's really what drives me to program, I think, mm -hmm. you know, it's that, that growth that uh, for the rest of my life, I get to learn for a living. That's brilliant. What a lovely job, right? I want to keep that up. And, and that does depend on putting people around you who mm -hmm. help to bolster you. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. So... Um, so keeping, keeping, uh, a balance between, um, having a job where you're not jumping from one job to the other, um, two years, as you've mentioned, is probably a, a nice sweet spot. Is there anything, is there any, if, if you had a job that was some, if, if you had a job that you were comfortable with and you were happy with, um, how can the managers and the people around you help progress you from junior to senior because i guess you, you don't it but by that by the logic that we've just discussed you wouldn't want to be a, a junior for for more than two years right in the same spot right i think that honestly i see developers now they come out of a boot camp or a similar like a coding academy type of program mm. and they only have junior on their title for maybe six months mm -hmm. or a year uh, because it's it's very easy. That's about the time that you start getting those LinkedIn messages from the recruiters. You know, the first job is incredibly difficult and my heart goes out to you. Mm -hmm. Graduates, it's really hard. It's a slog. And there's some, some good advice there for another time about how to get in that mm -hmm. first job. But, mm -hmm. but once you're there, you know, maybe even be a little cautious about moving up too quickly. You'll know where you are and what workload you're able to handle. And mm -hmm. if you 
jump titles before you're ready, what a title is, is a set of expectations for an organization on you. Mm -hmm. If you get hired in as a senior developer, they expect you to be a senior developer and to be able to succeed when just handed a business challenge. Like here, this is difficult for the organization to manage. Could you take over? Mm -hmm. And if you don't feel like you're prepared to do that kind of work, then take some more time and grow um, as to what organizations can be doing to support the junior developers in their career paths. I think mentorship is the largest piece that's missing. Okay. And I look around, I don't see very many shops with well-developed mentorship programs. And that is a huge benefit to a junior developer. Just having someone you can go to even for 15 minutes a day of structured time. Let's spend the last 15 minutes of the day together mm. and the junior developer all day long is writing down acronyms and technologies that they don't understand. And their goal in that 15 minutes is just to get enough to Google. Right? Gotcha. Just get enough from your mentor to Google. Come in the next morning and do your Googling. Don't do it at home that night. Go home and watch Netflix, right? Play with your family or your dog or your cat. And then come in the next morning and, and get that learning out of the way early in the morning because it's going to give you the confidence to keep going that day. To understand a lot of things that you didn't understand yesterday, that early in the morning, I think helps drive people. Mm, yeah, it's uh, having that um, the short feedback loops as well, right? So you you, I, you you've got the acronym, you know what it is, you know where to look for it. So you look for it, you do a bit of reading, you know a little bit more, and then you get on with the day feeling ten times better than you started with. Right. right. Yeah. And you it's to start every day feeling smart. You know, how nice is that? That's really, really cool. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, and, and I guess it's all about like building up these building blocks, right? You, the smaller blocks, it's like uh, building a wall one, one brick at a time yeah. and, and slowly building that up. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, what, what issues, what issues do you see, um, in the current hiring process? Cause we, we mentioned the, <laughs> we met, we mentioned, um, moving from job to job. Um, and you also mentioned that, um, uh, the titles are a set of expectations. Right. So in, with that in frame, um, what, what do you think are the issues with the current hiring process? Well, they are, they are so <laughs> many, so many. Uh, linked lists, I think, are at the very top right. that everyone seems to be in the business of creating linked lists. And yet I've never had to do that for my job ever. And there are people that do. Right. Right. There are people that have to do work that conforms to those typical coding interview questions like uh, how would you implement a linked list? Describe to me what a B tree is. You know, what's the difference between depth first search and breadth first search? Right. There's these kinds of things like mm -hmm. are are common gotcha kind of mm -hmm. coding questions. And I think that, that it's important to assess skill. But if you know when you're hiring a developer that they've already been coding for two years at some company somewhere, even if they were terrible at it, they're programmers. They know how to write foobar, right? They can, or, or fizzbuzz or whatever. Like they, they know how to write like a basic yeah. uh, bit of software. And that's really what you need because you're just trying to grow on top of that scaffold that already exists. Mm -hmm. And I say that to people when I'm interviewing every time I'm like, look, like these may be the pieces you need from me. And these are the pieces that I have right now. And where those pieces are not adequate to accomplish the job, I want to build these in together, mm -hmm. right? I would hope that you are in that position as well because no one knows your business like you know your business. There's always going to be this learning curve. But mm -hmm. ideally, mm -hmm. a developer that you hire is going to be a lifelong learner. And you're looking for that. You should be looking, focus your interview process on the ability and the drive to learn. How quickly does this person pick up new technologies? How excited are they about the work that they do? Are they communicative about the work they do? Number one thing you should be checking for is communication skills. Mm. It's just so disappointing and the process breaks down so often when we spend all this time evaluating technical abilities. Seven out of eight interviews in a day, mm. which is way too many, by the mm. way, are focused on technical skills. And then one person makes sure that you can form full sentences and then you're through the door, right? And so the the hiring process for junior developers right now is especially difficult because they're putting junior developer on, on their resume. And, and I want them to stop. Right. If you're a developer now and you're applying and let them assess where you fit within their organization. Some companies don't even have junior developer roles ever. They only ever post developer roles and they have rankings. You know, you're a software engineer one or a software engineer six, and they'll decide where you fit in the organization. Your job is not 
to self-exclude, right? Your job is to throw yourself out there on the market and say, look, I'm for sale, anybody buying, and then let them decide how much you're worth to them and where you fit. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're, I mean, this is very gutsy stuff, right? When you're moving from, from a junior up to developer, because you have to, you have to kind of think I'm ready for this. I'm, I'm, I can do this. This is, this is where I'm at now. How does one get to that point in their career? How does one feel comfortable with, with that? Um, you don't really ever, I think (laughs) that you just walk into the fire someday you get frustrated and you think like, I'm never going to be a developer. I'm always going to be junior. Screw it. I'll let them tell me no. And then you walk into the fire anyway, and they tell you you're good enough, you're smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like you, you know, <laughs> because that imposter syndrome is very real. It's still there for me every day. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm desperately afraid that you're going to find out I'm a fake in the middle of this interview and mock me publicly. You know, <laughs> it's just it's always part of us, especially people from non-traditional backgrounds and right. overcoming that and developing either that uh like throw caution to the wind kind of mentality or, you know, that small nugget of, of confidence that allows you to push yourself forward in your career mm-hmm. is, is what's going to allow that growth. And it mm-hmm. does have to come from inside, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I mean, occasionally an organization will just say, ah, oh, you're, you're a developer now. But again, that's kind of, kind of a dangerous way to go about it because you're setting expectations for yourself for the rest of your career that maybe you're not prepared to handle. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you, you wouldn't want to go from, a senior down to developer down to junior <laughs> right it is difficult and and you know sometimes that happens within any given organization they may have higher expectations for what constitutes a senior developer and that's fine mm. right mm. don't ever go backwards in salary is my advice if you mm. can help it don't ever go backwards in salary mm. Mm. yeah um you made a great point there about imposter syndrome uh, and, and this is something that we haven't mentioned yet um in depth in imposter syndrome in my experience, imposter syndrome, as as you rightly said, it it affects all of us, every level. Um, and there's a fine line between becoming overconfident and being underconfident, and the imposter syndrome is in the middle. Because yeah. you, we made a point earlier about you have to, you can't be the smartest person in the room. But if you're if you're the person who 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 you're looking up to if if you're looking up to all these other people in the room then it's very easy to be uh say hello to imposter syndrome because it's because you're always constantly reminded of the things that you don't know um so yeah i mean it's a it's a very fine line i I find i'm i'm personally i struggle with it myself um and um it, it it kind of you kind of surprise yourself sometimes um with what you can do and what you can't do as well because there's some things you think that you can do and then you realize that you can't i also get this with estimates as well so i underestimate all the time (laughs) yeah oh yeah because i'm overconfident because i think i can do it really quickly um and then and then once you get a couple of of those that are wrong then you start thinking actually am i Am I good enough to do this? Is this you, all that self doubt sets in, um, right. and then you you speak to other people who can do it ten times quicker and all of this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that it's easy to think that that's the mark of a good developer because like people talk all the time about the ten x developer. Ten oh. x developer yeah. is a myth, first of all. But but the way that you're really going to amplify your effect within an organization is to communicate and collaborate. It's not to type faster. If you're honest with yourself about how much of your day as a programmer you spend actually pushing buttons, Mm. you're going to see that that's not the crux of your work, right? That may be 20% of the time. The rest of it is is planning and understanding architecture and talking to your teammates and gathering information. I think it's very easy for junior developers to hold themselves back in their career progression, assuming that they need to have all the syntax of all the languages memorized. Mm. They have to all of this, you, you have the collected uh, knowledge of all of humanity, all of human history at your fingertips all the time. You don't need to memorize anything anymore. Mm. What you need to get good at is parsing Google search results, you know, 
the senior developers are able to pick out the ones that are relevant very quickly and get that information into their their RAM and so they can use it to do their jobs very quickly. And when you really think about it, you probably are much better at that than you realize. Mm -hmm. Ask yourself questions like, okay, given a week and unlimited access to the internet and, and no sensation that my boss is breathing down my neck or someone is waiting to judge me, do I think I could accomplish this task? Do I think I could pick up Golang mm -hmm. in a month? Do I think I could pick up Swift in a month? And I, and I would bet that, that most junior developers at a certain point in their career, they start to think, yeah, yeah, I can do that. I'm a learner, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, the signal that you move forward. Not that you've memorized all the things, because honestly, two years from now, all the things are gonna have changed, you know? Yeah. The industry changes so quickly. Yeah, 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 you damn right there. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember doing programming languages that just don't exist or don't exist in the same frame, sort of, you know, structure as they do now. Nobody uses them anymore. Um, yeah. yeah, and and you're yeah, so right there where things change and evolve. Um, and really, it's knowing where to look for things um, and knowing, you know, where, what kind of keywords to pinpoint out. You know, so looking at a Stack Overflow post and seeing their stack traces and marrying up their stack traces to your stack traces, even if the answer isn't, even if the question isn't your question, you can right. still bring those two things together and then get some sort of scope as to what could possibly be wrong with this. Um, and uh, before this interview, we were talking about um, um, something that you were dealing with. Um, and um, uh, just having the error message and right. that error message not being a, a, a decent error message. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, the, the Kubernetes problem. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Those yeah. kinds of things. And being able to see the way through that. And so a lot of people are very critical of, of developers early in their careers, copy and pasting mm -hmm. answers. And I'm totally fine with that. Mm -hmm. I think that you should... You should fake it until you make it. Copy and paste all you like, but also don't don't do the copy and pasting. Actually, type out the code. Yeah, you can have the code up over on this side. Actually, type it out over here. Yeah. and you're building muscle memory on your keyboard, yeah. and you're building the mental memory. And even if you don't fully understand all of the code, you'll start to recognize bits mm -hmm. that you understand. And probably once you finish typing it out, it's not going to do the thing you expected anyway. And then you'll have to figure out why, mm -hmm. right? Because a senior developer looking at that solution, they're able to apply partial information to match the pattern of what they need to accomplish, right? Yeah, it's yeah. that that bringing together, because you're, you're not ever going to have those perfect pattern matches. No. Occasionally you will, right? This is what I need to accomplish. I found someone who has the exact same problem and now I can do what they've done. Mm -hmm. It's much more likely that you're going to have this Venn diagram with just a little overlap here, right? Mm -hmm. Part of my stack trace matches part of their stack trace mm -hmm. and, and then have to make up the rest. And when you get good at that that's a good sign that you're ready to move on mm, yeah definitely definitely we we talked earlier about um senior developers um and, and how they can help junior developers and and also the companies as well we we mentioned mentoring um is there anything else that uh, other than mentoring that um senior developers could possibly do or not do uh to help yeah <laughs> I have a lot of not do's. Yeah. Don't, I know that it's it's hard to stop this habit, but never ever describe something as easy to a junior developer because coding is hard and you know it. Mm -hmm. You know programming is hard. Mm -hmm. And and what you're trying to express is you can do this, mm -hmm. right? That's what you're trying to so say that. Mm -hmm. Say I know you can do this and and give them just just enough information, just in time learning, right? Mm -hmm. Give them just enough information to get to the next step of their learning themselves. Don't do it for them. Don't grab the keyword away from a junior developer when you're pairing. Never do that, right? Mm -hmm. You're stealing learning from them. Give them just enough information to get past this roadblock that they've encountered. And then you give them the opportunity to grow as a developer. Mm -hmm. I think it's really common for senior developers who aren't experienced in being a good mentor mm -hmm. or helping to, helping to progress a junior's career to want to express everything as easy. Oh, you just do this, you just do that. Mm -hmm. And some of that comes from a lack of patience too. Mm -hmm. If you have a junior who 
doesn't understand the rules of being a good mentee, for example, and is coming to you too often mm -hmm. with too many small questions. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you, and you start doing things like sending them, let me Google that for you links. Like that's a real sign that you're doing it wrong, mm -hmm. that, that you both need to step back and evaluate that relationship and talk about how you're going to communicate, set mm -hmm. some rules. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think a, a good rule there for anyone who's interested in putting together a mentorship program is to have, you know, a couple of touch points in a day. Maybe you sit down for, for 30 minutes before lunch together mm -hmm. and you pair with your mentor every day. Mm -hmm. And then you have the evening check-in right before you both go home for 15 minutes and you can catch up. And, and that's the time to ask questions. And maybe some days it needs to be a little bit longer. Say, hey, can we bump forward a little bit? I need a half hour today because I've got a lot of questions or whatever it is. Get some time with your mentor a couple of times a day and, and mentors give that time, that time you you've committed to mm -hmm. them and you need to, to develop the, the patience to sit there for all of those questions. You don't, you don't want to ever give a junior developer the impression that they're asking stupid questions or that there even are stupid questions. Please stop doing that. It's just, you're <laughs> yeah. damaging their potential to grow. You're not mm -hmm. just teaching them in this moment that like, you're not a good source of knowledge. You're, you're teaching them that their method of seeking knowledge is fundamentally broken. And that can push people out of the industry, the opposite of what we want. Yeah, that's true. Um, if someone comes to you and asks a question, they're obviously hungry for the answer. And so you kind of need to give them the, the signpost to where to find that um, or to help them with some acronyms. But you want to keep them hungry. You don't want to stunt their growth. You know, um, and you can answer a question and you can answer questions, but you can also answer questions in the wrong way <laughs> Yeah, and, and prevent that person from coming back to you, um, exactly. mm, which is not good, which is not good. But I guess as a mentor, you want to find that balance between someone who is trying to ask all of the questions and get you to do their homework, um, versus, uh, someone who is interested, genuinely interested and wants to learn more. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that that getting you to do their homework thing, that's, I think that expectation of, I mean, I guess it's not quite malice, no, right? No. But maybe it would help in cultivating patients to imagine that everyone in the world is doing the best they can all the time, mm -hmm. that we're all just trying mm -hmm. and, and even really terrible people, war criminals, mm -hmm. think they're doing good, mm -hmm. right? They think that they're doing what's right for humanity. They're, they're obviously wrong. I am not condoning war crimes. <laughs> but, but people don't get up in the morning being like, today I'm going to fail real hard. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make other people angry. I'm going to get out there and hurt some people. Right. You know, right. It's not something that really drives people. Show me an infant that is born with hatred. Right. And I, and I'll start to believe you. I think that that's hate is learned just like everything else. And when you're shutting down the conversation, you're, you're breaking people unnecessarily assume goodwill, assume that they want to learn and they want to grow and they just don't know how. Yeah. And then from that perspective, you can help to feed them just that little kernel that they need to get to the next hop on their trail mm -hmm. and they can make progress. But if you give them too much, mm. it's going to make them feel dumb at the mm. same time, because it's it's comes from a place of frustration. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, you just do this, and then you type it real fast, mm -hmm. and then it's done. See, and, and they didn't learn anything because mm -hmm. human beings are experiential learners. They have to mm -hmm. do it themselves if they want to learn it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Just being shown a thing is very rarely enough to get anyone to learn something. You made some really good points there um, about the frustration. They're coming from a point of frustration, as in they've tried it themselves. It doesn't work. They've probably tried it yeah. again and again and again. It still doesn't work. They're getting very, very frustrated. And so you as an mentor needs to be empathetic with that. You were the once there before. So you should be able to relate to the frustration. Um, and, um, you know, make them feel comfortable with right. asking questions and make, them make sure that they feel welcome every time yeah. this is an enjoyable yeah. experience. They want to come back to you mm -hmm. for that information mm -hmm. over and over again. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it's, it's very, very easy to shut down that communication and the psychological safety piece. Once that's missing, it's so difficult to get back. It's so sure. much more work to get back than not to destroy it in the first place. Yeah. And juniors do your homework. <laughs> when you, when you're going to take a problem to your mentor, you better have Googled that. You better have tried it. 
mm-hmm. already. Don't come to me like I'm Google. Right? No. Because no. that's the kind of thing that breeds frustration in a mentor. That's true. Yes, yes. If it if it was something that was the first Google result coming back, then right. yeah. <laughs> Don't come to me and say it is broken. Come to me and say, this is the very specific error message I'm getting. These are the three things I have tried already. None of those accomplished my goal. What am I not Googling for? What is it that I'm missing from this equation? That should be the question you bring to a mentor. Mm-hmm. Not, it's broken, it won't work. Yeah, right. right. Because that's yeah. that's useless and frustrating. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the one one thing I, I can say from experience is to um, fill in the blanks, right? So, if someone says it's broken, I can't fix. I don't know what's going on. You then you then come back and say, where? What, what does the error log say? And then they would perhaps say, where are the error logs? So then you say the error logs are in blah blah blah. And then you sort of give them little chunks of nuggets of information that they can solve. Th- it themselves. You don't want to go, oh yeah, just set this variable and blah, blah, blah. And it, it will work. Everything's fine. Um, I, you want to kind of give them the tools to find that solution themselves. Yeah. Um, and it requires a little bit of, of uh, retrospective thinking. It does. Think yeah. about what it is that you learned that allowed you to like, like finding the logs is an yeah. excellent example mm. of that thing. It's if a developer comes to you and they say it's broken, your answer should not be like, go away and come back when you have a better question for me, noob, right? <laughs> your, your answer should be like, okay, I understand that it's not, not working. How specifically is it not working? What have you tried so far? Mm-hmm. And, and kind of coach them in how to ask the question, how to prepare themselves for that question. Mm-hmm. Teach them how to use uh, the logs instead of just telling them what you already know from experience is going to be there in the logs gotcha. and, and jumping that second step yeah. and telling them how to fix the thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So true. So true. Well, Jonan, this was fascinating, fascinating uh, talking about this. You've got so much uh, good advice. Um, is there anything that you uh, would like to add before we wrap up? I just want to reiterate that cultivating patience in those relationships is immensely valuable. It's a really good opportunity for you to learn empathy. Mm senior developers, Mm. learn to empathize with your former selves. It's the best people to teach, in my opinion, are those who've just learned a thing, right? As time goes on, we start to lose the ability to understand or remember the steps we took to get to where we have the knowledge. And, And that's okay. You don't necessarily have to remember that thing, you have to be willing to put the time in with someone to sit down and figure it out together. Mm. Like you have to say, well, let's sit down and diagnose this issue and, and understand where they're coming from as a junior developer. What did it feel like dropping into that Slack channel full of senior developers mm. asking senior developer questions and joking about technologies that you didn't know the acronyms for? What did it feel like to put a question in there admitting that you didn't know a thing? How terrifying is that? And realize that every single time a junior developer comes to you, that's the feeling mm. that they're holding inside. And your first step is to take that away because it occupies them entirely, right? Mm. You. You could say something like, I'm so glad you came to me. I'm really bored of this work. Let's talk, right? Be excited to work with them. And you just disarm that fear that they have that is occupying their mind entirely, right? Mm. Be empathetic. And mm. and that's a skill that serves you well for the rest of your career. If you really want to progress from being a senior developer, empathy is a must. So, so true. Yeah, so true. So how how can people how can people get a hold of you? Oh, you can find me on the internet in most places as the Jonan Show. The Jonan, uh, the Jonan and Jonan Show. I, I'm on Twitter <laughs> as the Jonan Show. Twitter's probably the best place okay. to get a hold of me. Yeah. If you, uh, Jonan is spelled J-O-N-A-N. I guess it's probably in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll put, it, I'll put it. Show put it all on links below and on the screen. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, there, there is a there is a question I ask um, uh, everyone. Uh, or who comes on this podcast. Um, and that is, if you could talk to your former self, what advice would you give? It could be more than one and it could be technical or non-technical or both. I think it's the same advice I give to myself now, which is to let go of my ego. Mm-hmm. That that the sooner you're able to get to a place where you can ask those questions that feel dumb to you or, or you know, Jumping into that Slack channel and asking that question. Everyone's had the experience probably on IRC, right? Mm-hmm. For those of us who used to be on IRC, where you pop into a channel and so someone says like, well, that's a dumb question, 
right? Or like, oh, did you even Google that first? Or PebCAC problem exists before, between keyboard and user, right? Or, or, or in, in computer problem exists between keyboard and computer. Yeah, this, these kinds of answers, like they're, they're going to happen and you just have to roll with that. You're going to have someone who makes you feel dumb and understand that that is their deficiency and, and understand that your deficiency maybe comes from having an ego and that fear about putting your lack of knowledge out there in the first place because a beginner's mind is fundamentally important at every stage of your career. If you can cultivate that beginner's mindset, you you have an opportunity to grow as long as you're here in this industry. And without that growth, then you slowly just become obsolete and you become the expert in some technology who, who gets to lord it over other people, but eventually your career becomes irrelevant and, and nobody likes working with you. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Some really awesome advice there. Thank you very much, Jonan, for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, I wish you all the well. Um, and thanks ever so much, for everybody who is watching on the YouTubes and listening on the podcast. Happy coding, everyone. I'll see you again soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me. No worries. Before we go, I just want to say that if anybody wants to join the Discord channel, then please do so. Go to howtocopewell.net forward slash Discord. There's channels in there for coding help. There's channels in there for coding challenges, new coders, lots of stuff for programming. There's a nice little community that's building up there. So if you've got any coding questions you want to ask, then do check out howtocopewell.net forward slash Discord. Of course, if you want to support the channel and if you want to get early access to some of these podcasts and the tutorials that I've got on the YouTube channel, then do check out our Patreon account. That's patreon.com forward slash how to code well. You'll also get access to the pro user discord channels and the voice chat channels as well. Thanks very much. Happy coding, everyone. I'll see you again in the next one. Cheers. Bye.